Welcome to the Talent Talks podcast from Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. I'm Alan Caesar. My guest today is Dana Delane Williams. She has a bachelor's in computer information systems from Georgia State University and a master's in business administration from Embry-Riddle, which she earned from our worldwide campus in 1998. Today, she is Chief Executive and Chief Academic Officer at American High School, an accredited entirely online high school. She is responsible for curriculum, growth strategy, culture, operations, R&D, sales, product development and launch, marketing, and overseas expansions. Holy moly, that's a lot of hats. Dana, thanks for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you, Alan. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, so tell me about all these hats you wear. How do you juggle all of that? Oh, it's hard, but I do have um, very, very good people that work with me and that surround me. So they help me with all of these things. So it's not just me. I mean, it's things I'm responsible for, but I have others that help me. So you're not just CAO and CEO, you're the owner and founder, and you created American High School 18 years ago, which is like kind of hard to fathom almost. Like the internet was still pretty slow. Cell phones were just phones. This was before YouTube and MySpace. And like, never mind that just like the last six months feels like 20 years, but like 18 years ago is also a long time. So uh, why did you feel that was the right time to create an online high school? Well, it was it was during that time that we had started actually with the company that I was with building an online college. So colleges were going online, but the secondary education, those schools were not going online. And I said, well, if we're building the online college, why don't we take the same framework and go and work with um, homeschoolers? We'll create an online school that will work with homeschoolers, not necessarily to work with the other schools, but to assist homeschooling parents to be able to, um, especially when they got to the tough topics like chemistry or statistics or physics or geometry, things like that, that they would be able to have uh, assistance from certified teachers that were working in their discipline. And so that's really the crux of how it started to work with homeschooling families who needed that extra level um, that the certified teachers would be able to give them in an online environment. Yeah. So what did this school sort of look like in the beginning as far as the technology and the experience? Wow. Well, I mean, it started in, in cold fusion. I mean, long, you know, we don't even know how to use that anymore. I don't even use it at all, really. But uh, it started with cold fusion. It was all text based. Uh, we did not have any videos no audio, everything was in uh, text format or PDF books. And that's all that they would, you know, pretty much could serve up on the internet at that time. So mm -hmm. it was pretty boring, pretty bland, but I mean, it served its purpose. And uh, when we first put it online, we first started marketing, we were like, okay, let's see what happens. And the phone rang, we were like, oh my God, you know? And uh, it was a homeschooling mom who had looked for online school. And she was like, is this new? And we kind of started from there, so. Yeah. So how did uh, what were were most of your early clients and uh, homeschoolers? Most all of them were most of them were pretty much all we catered to probably up until, you know, last year, mostly our homeschoolers or people who cannot or don't function well in the traditional you know school environment. Mm -hmm. So it was mostly homeschoolers. What was the uh, hardest part of initially standing up the school? I think the hardest part was being able to get the curriculum all created. That's that's the biggest challenge because mm -hmm. we had to use curriculum writers. We had to follow the state standards. Um, we had to align, um, you know, to make sure that everything was aligned for Florida because that's where we we're in. We we're based in Florida. And uh, that took the most time. It took us probably about almost a year just to build the 24 credits required for graduation. And that's all we had pretty much then. And that was 24 full credit courses. And so now we have over 350 online 
uh, full semester or full year, um, as well as we have adult learner courses. We have NCAA approved courses. So, and that's all just evolved over, over time. So you mentioned state standards. I imagine you've expanded now beyond just Florida. You're doing all over the, the United States or are you going further than that? Yes, we're pretty much all over the United States and international. And as far as the standards are concerned now, we've uh, shifted over the years to the Common Core Standards, which mm-hmm. is used by most of the states. So and that that's acceptable for just about any student, no matter where they are, to go from one school to the next school because it's all based on the Common Core. So back when you were standing it up, did you with your um, bachelor's in computer information systems, did you any do any of the software development early on? I didn't really program like that. I have programmers that work with me, but I speak, I was able to speak their language. And mm-hmm. so we were able to get it, you know, get it done and set up exactly where we needed to. It was rudimentary, I, but it was working. That's and it's good. evolved significantly. <laughs> uh, so did you have a, a lot of competition in online, in online high schools at the time? There, there were some, but there were not many. And um, it's funny because some of the players that are in the industry now back then, I actually had talked to a couple of them asking them questions when I was researching and trying to figure out. And I remember one of them saying, well, why do you want to create a virtual school? We already have one. And I said, well, there could be more than one. And so, you know, and, and so I, I follow that virtual school even now and they're doing very well. But it's like there's room enough for all of us. Is it still strictly a high school or have you expanded into other years as well? We've expanded all the way to K to 12 now. So we're K to 12 and adult learners. Has that space, has it become easier or harder to work in than before? Is, is, is online education harder now than it used to be? Yeah, it's, 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 it's harder now. Um, and I say that just because there is a lot more competition out there. And so we have to continuously try to differentiate ourselves and differentiate what it is that we offer and what we do better um, or what we want to improve upon that the others are not able to do. Um, so that that's that's the challenge. That's the challenge. You've had more than 8,000 students enroll in uh, in your school. And then in, in the before times prior to COVID, what uh, was, now you mentioned early on, it was mostly homeschoolers. Was it still mostly homeschoolers? Was it, were there, you know, expats and families from, you know, living overseas that you pulled in as well? How, what, what did the student body look like before before COVID? Yeah. So we did have expats. We do have those and we do have mostly homeschoolers, but we did have a shift to summer school where the public schools were not offering summer school. So they would allow their students to come to us for summer school enrollment. And so that shift took place probably about five or six years ago, really when they really stopped doing a lot of summer school classes. And so they come to us for summer school, the regular traditional students. What's changed for you in 2020? There's so much more interest now because it's being forced. I've been saying this for a long time that online education um, is the future. And I kept saying it's kind of been pushed out five years, five years, you know, that it's going to be the, no, the, you know, the norm. But right now, COVID-19 is giving us that paradigm shift in education that is going to be the forever future because we're not going to necessarily be able to go back to the traditional way it is now um, just because of the fact that more students are realizing that they really do like to go to school online. They like the flexibility. They like to be able to uh, work at their pace. And our international partners are expanding significantly because the entire world is on lockdown. 
And so they're looking to partner with schools like us that have programs for their students internationally. So we've gone from, let's say, I don't know, probably 15 or 16 partners to over 40 or 50 just in the last couple of months. Partners internationally to go to online schools. So with all this uh, new interest, um, what's the most common question you're getting from parents who are considering enrolling? Well, right now, um, I think the biggest thing is um, they look at the flexibility option. They look at um, how much are they going to have interaction with the teachers. Um, they ask, they're almost getting like a little bit of Zoom fatigue, even in, even though schools have just started. They're already saying how we don't want to sit for six hours a day uh, in front of a computer. Our kid is only, you know, 13 or 12 years old and uh, they just can't do that. And that's what's happening. And so they're even asking us, do we require that for our students? We said, no, if your student is a, a morning person, they can work in the morning. If they're a night person, they can work at night. They can work whenever they want to, um, as long as they work a minimum of four days a week, you know, something like that, um, and about four hours a day, they can get their schoolwork done. You don't have to sit in front of the computer for six hours hearing lectures or trying to stay focused. And that's a big concern of the parents. Yeah, I, and I've heard that a lot for a, a while now is that, um, you know, school schedules in particular for high school students, they're not like, you know, if, if a school starts at seven o'clock or seven thirty for whatever sort of in infrastructure related reason or uh, whatever, like that's that's not the greatest time for them to be learning. It, it, they really need to be starting school later in the day. Exactly. But see, the way the school schedule is, and if you have a you know a school that has K to 12, you have to mix and stagger those times. Mm -hmm. So that's what happens. So I think the flexibility of our online program, the teachers um, that are available to work with the students, you know, at the various times, that works for them. And they're available. And we have an app that we use um, so that if the students are working on a homework problem and a teacher is not available, they can access a teacher that's available, not necessarily theirs, but someone else that's an expert in that particular um, subject matter. And they can get that assistance they need at any time of day or night. So, you know, everybody, we've all been dealing with uh, the pandemic for so many months now. And so many families saw their schools scramble to go completely online halfway through the spring semester. So many people, like you mentioned, are like getting burned out on uh, you know having Zoom fatigue. Um, people are homebound, um, mental illness. People are struggling with mental illness more these days. I want to. So I want to ask you, how are you doing? I mean, I'm in the same boat that there are. I'm working from home every day. And uh, I mean. It, it gets to, I mean, I, I, it gets to be a bit much, you know, and I mean, we're having all of our meetings, all of our chatting, talking with the staff, all just through a computer screen, you know? So, I mean, I, I mean, I feel the same way sometimes I got to just step away because I can literally stay working from the moment I get up to the moment I go to bed because it's just, you know, so much stuff, but it's like, you got to take a break. You got to, you got to step away for a little while. You yeah, it's a, it's a bit much. <laughs> so I understand all of that. Yeah. So you, you've um, yeah, you've written that you were a military brat going up and you moved around a lot. Did you figure out uh, how to make friends quickly uh, living that kind of lifestyle? Or were you always kind of lonely? No, I've, we figured out how to make friends. We had to. We were moving every two years. So mm -hmm. literally moving every two years, it forced you to find and meet new friends. So it was pretty easy for me. 
Well, that's good. Were there any people that you sort of kept in touch with that you had met in a particular time? Like writing letters, I guess, would have been the thing back then or phone calls. Exactly. And it's funny because I was cleaning up something the other day and my best friend in uh, middle school, and I still keep in touch with her, we had all of our letters that we were writing to each other back and forth and some other things. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that's how we communicated back then, writing those letters. But, yeah, I keep in touch with my my high school friends, uh, my middle school friends, elementary, no, not, not, not really. Not really. Right, right. It's probably <laughs> hard to remember the, the phone numbers and mailing addresses from back then. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, to sort of tie this back into the school thing, my kids aren't old enough to have smartphones that they communicate with their friends on. Um, but I've heard a lot of people say that online school isn't having a f- an effect on their on today's high school kids because so much of the socializing happens on a smartphone. Do you think that do you think that's true? I, I think so, because the fact that these kids, they just don't get off their phones. They just don't get off their iPads. They're always on them. So when you tie in the education part of it and, and we have our own social media network so that they can talk to the other kids that are enrolled in the school and in mm-hmm. the same class that they are. Um, I don't see where there's any issue with social socialization at all because they communicate on their phone with their friends already. They're not in front of them They're mm-hmm. talking or chatting or texting, you know, and then they have the Internet. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I wonder if for for younger kids who don't yet have that sort of, you know, have their thumbs on a screen all day long yet, do you find that you need to provide some sort of social outlet or is that something that is not um you know, that the, the sort of the parent has to make sure that the kids get enough time with their friends and so on. Yeah, we leave that pretty much up to the parents to be able to do that, especially for our younger, like K to five students. Their parents yeah. have to be pretty much involved and working with us along with the kids because they are so young. And any, you know, any social outlet or, you know, activity that they want, they pretty much are done by the parents. We don't really do anything with them at all um, in terms of social. Our network that we have for the students begins in middle school. So you can have middle school access to the student lounge and the other students, but K to five, no. From your experience and your youth, like what uh, what advice might you give to a kid who's having trouble making new friends? I would just, you know, I mean, we deal with a lot of things at the school, people who are lonely, isolated, people who are bullied, you know, and it's really sad when we hear these stories. And as a matter of fact, we just had some really, really upsetting news. One of our students actually passed away. And when it just hits home, because we feel like part of it had to do with, you know, just some things that were happening that he didn't he didn't have an outlet. He didn't have the proper um, people to go to, to talk to, to see what the problems are. So if you're not, you know, if you have problems making friends, I would say, you know, try to maybe volunteer or, or do some community service or do something that gets you around other people who are in your, you know, in your age or something like that outside of your, your house, not staying in your computer, in your room, you know, being tormented or things like that. Cause you're by yourself, you know, go out there and try to do something, meet other people in the community, you know, volunteer. That's definitely hard. Um, I will say that, um, my sister, uh, has, I think her daughter's about eight years old. And so she's, uh, and she's doing virtual school right now. And, um, she was very excited the first day that uh, that there were absolutely no bullies to deal with. You know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But I mean, it just it's it's just it's just sad though that the cyber bullying continues. And I said I'm almost going to make it one of my missions. Um, one of the things that I'm going to really focus on is to figure out how I can you know have some impact on that because it's so bad, it's terrible. Because our students do share with us some of them um, the reasons why they come to our school, and it's because of just those same reasons. And it's sad. 
that they can't go to a regular school because they're bullied and they come to an online school and they're going to be bullied again or the internet lets the bullying happen. It's sad. It's sad. In um, a recent press release uh, you guys issued, um, it was mentioned that you're the first black woman to stand up in an online school in the U.S. Um, Do you think it's valuable for young people of color to see a woman, a woman of color in a leadership position? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, um, I think that for them to see that no matter what they uh, desire, you know, desire to be in life, uh, whatever they achieve, whatever goals they have, whatever dreams they have, they can be achieved. It takes hard work, takes dedication, takes effort, but they can do it and they can be successful. And, um, you know, I feel like I would love to be able to be a role model to those aspiring entrepreneurs who want to get in the education or ed tech field because it's the feel good area. Because I feel like every day, every day I wake up in the morning and every t- every day I work on the curriculum or the school or the initiatives, it's because I'm able to help someone, to help these kids, to get that minimum credential that they need, their high school diploma. So I want to be able to be that role model for women of color, girls of color, any of those that want to be able to do anything in terms of entrepreneurship and getting out there and uh, making a difference. Yeah. So uh, speaking of role models, uh, did you have a particular role model uh, that you remember when you're from your youth? I think the role model that I had um, really was like my grandparents and my father. My It, it was relatives. It was those types of people. I just saw mm-hmm. the hard work and the dedication that they did. My grandfather he was a bricklayer and pretty much a little small town that we grew up in or that they lived in and we would go back every summer. It was like he pretty much built that entire town. And I mean, I just was growing up like in awe. His name was Big Daddy. And I would just look at him as a little kid and I just look up to him and he'd come in every day. And and every time I would, he would drive by, we would be driving in the town. He'd say, yep, I built the post office. I just finished building the bank. I built the courthouse. And it was like, wow, you did all that. And I think that it was like seeing that he could do it and he did it. And it was like, that's some big buildings. When I was a kid, I was like, you did that? And so I think that that pretty much shaped me and made me see that I could do things big too. I could, I could think big. I could think and, and, and do things like he did. So I really think about that now. And it's like, he made me think he pretty much was my role model growing up. That's really interesting that he, uh, he built physical buildings, you know, he was responsible for building these sort of structures. And here you've built something that is, uh, you know, it's what typically is in a a brick building, but is now you actually don't have a brick and mortar space. It's an entire institution that is online. Yes. Wow. Now, I've done a bit of programming and I know there is that satisfaction when you complete a program and it works and it compiles and it runs and it does what it's supposed to do. Um, But it's it's not quite exactly the same as as building something with your hands. Um, How did you end up in that in that headspace? Well, when we were building the online college and we were sitting there talking about all of the things that we wanted the college to do, um, it was just from that. We just it was an extension of that conversation on what this is new. Okay, so because nobody else is doing it, really, what would we want to see? What would we want uh, the student to feel when they're working. And I mean, I go back and I look at some of the older pictures and, and the renditions that we had of the old LMS. And even though it was 
text base, you still could put the shades of the color, you know, of the cells. You still could think about the logic that you want to do for once they submitted their homework, what would it do then? Would it send them an email? Would it send to the teacher? You know, just talking all those details out. And it was like, it was just a matter of just evolving on the basic things that you would want to have. If you were in a regular school, what would you do versus your online? We kind of had to make those changes and adjustments, but I mean, it was, it wasn't too difficult. It really wasn't too difficult. So when you were when you were younger and you were deciding to go into computers, how did you just choose that path in the first place? I just always have liked technology. I just always have liked computers, just working around technology and, and thinking about it, you know? So when the opportunity presented itself, and I remember I had my first, I think it was like an Apple and, you know, it was AOL and all of those things. It was like, I just was excited working, you know, using computers. So it was just like a little bit of a natural thing for me. I mean, I was doing that in high school. It was just kind of natural. So why did you choose to come to Embry-Riddle for your MBA at that point in your career? Uh, For me to work at the University of Kentucky, one of the mandates and the requirements was that I got you know, that I had to uh, get my master's degree. And the closest place that I could go at that time, because my husband was in the military, was Fort Campbell, Kentucky, to the Emory-Riddle campus there, or drive 60 miles to Nashville back and forth. So I decided, you know, Emory-Riddle had the best program that I thought was available and the closest to me. And so I picked that. What uh, what impact did that have on your career then at that point? And did that MBA then translate to becoming a CEO of a virtual high school? Oh, well, I mean, I think that the MBA for, for you know, purposes for the University of Kentucky, that was, you know, pretty much to be able to continue my uh, assistant professor position. Being able to just go to Emory-Riddle and to get my master's gave me a lot of insight on a higher level in terms of, you know, business and acumen and, you know, accounting, all of the things that come with it. So obviously that um, lent, lent itself to being able to allow me the option uh, to operate an online school, you know, to be able to have that background necessary. So what were you teaching at University of Kentucky? Uh, Computer information systems, those classes, yes. So I taught all of the computer information uh, systems. I taught programming. I taught, um, you know, Windows. I I can't remember what version of Windows we had. It was an old one for sure now. (laughs) Uh, But I was teaching all of those. As soon as they came out, I was like, I'll take those. I'll take those. I always wanted the ones that were the latest and greatest. We'll continue to the lightning round in a moment. But first, I'd like to tell you about Embry-Riddle's Eagle Authors Directory. Our Eagles are not only pilots, engineers, and business leaders. They're also authors. If you're looking for something great to read, whether it's an academic research text on aerospace engineering or an espionage thriller to transport you to dark alleys and mysterious characters, you'll find something worthwhile in the Eagle Authors Directory. All members of the Embry-Riddle community are welcome to submit their published work to be included on our digital bookshelves. Visit alumni.erau.edu slash authors to browse the directory and submit your own books. All right, Dana, we're uh, getting ready for our lightning round. I'm going to give you five questions and you're going to give me five answers. Uh, Your first one is, um, if you could take a cruise anywhere in the world, because I understand you enjoy cruises, uh, where would you go? So one of the things that's on my bucket list that when I start when I started um, cruising was to sometime or someday be able to get to uh, the Scandinavian region to be able to cruise all through the um, Denmark, Sweden, Norway to eventually be able to get to the to see the Northern Lights. That's the cruise that I was uh, that I really want to be able to go to if I could go anywhere. That would be it. If you could read only one book for the rest of your life, what would it be? It would be uh, Becoming by Michelle Obama. 
Yeah. Uh, tell me why. Wow. I wish she was running for president now, but she's not. I mean, she's smart. She's <laughs> tenacious. She's open. She's candid. I mean, she is like just an inspirational person to everybody. She can associate with everybody on all different levels. And uh, Becoming is all about, you know, embracing and believing that we are always changing and to challenge ourselves to be better always. And that's what I strive for every day. So that hit um, a, a lot of meaning for me. That gave me a lot of meaning. Who's your favorite cartoon character? Uh, so that would be, um, uh, what is it, Blondie and Dagwood. I like them. I like Blondie. Oh, is that uh, <laughs> is Dagwood the guy that gets the huge sandwiches? The huge sandwiches, yes. <laughs> okay, great, great. I mean, he could never he could never eat enough sandwiches. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, so oh, that, that's what resonates with me, that one. <laughs> that's fun, that's fun. All right, so uh, picture for me your ideal uh, grilled cheese sandwich. You're about to take a bite out of this thing. What's in it? Uh, oh, yeah, so, okay, you've watched Shark Tank, have you? Have, have you watched Shark Tank? I actually haven't. I've only heard the name of the show, but I don't really know anything about it. Okay, well, they had this um, this company that came on called Tom and Chi, and mm-hmm. uh, they specialized in grilled cheese sandwiches. So if I had to have one of the grilled cheese sandwiches that they have is a glazed donut and Instead of having regular bread with mild cheddar okay. cheese. So if I had to have one, I would add uh, some pulled pork and some uh, applewood smoked bacon along with the glazed donut and mild cheddar cheese. And that would be my ideal grilled cheese sandwich. All right. I could see that on a glazed donut. If it was like a chocolate sprinkle donut, that'd be extra weird. I don't think I could go that far. <laughs> right. But <laughs> the sharks, they loved it. So that they were like, it was just wonderful. Just the sweet and the I guess the cheese, the way the cheese is. So it, it works. So I would add to that and make my own, my ideal one like that. That's fun. <laughs> yes. All right. If, if you could live for a week as any person in history, who would it be? Susan B. Anthony probably is, is the person that comes to mind because she was a teacher. Um, you know, she was a leader. You know, she was probably one of those that were, um, began to like crack you know, the glass ceiling. Um, She was all about the anti-slavery movement, women's rights, all of those things that are very important for me. And I think that that gives me the ability to do what I'm doing now a little bit easier, probably because of her efforts. Equality for women. Mm -hmm. And that's what she stood for. Certainly an inspirational figure in history. Absolutely. Well, thanks very much, Dana, for joining us for the Talent Talks podcast. You're so welcome. Thank you, Alan. Of course. Uh, Talent Talks is a production of Wicked Radio and the Embry-Riddle Office of Philanthropy and Alumni Engagement. We're coming at you from my office at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University in Daytona Beach, Florida. And Dana's uh, Dana, where are we reaching you today? Fort Lauderdale, Florida. All right. This episode was recorded by me. Edmund Odarte is our program manager. Bill Thompson is executive director of alumni engagement. And Tony Brown is executive director of communications. If you'd like to share your thoughts about our show or suggest a guest to us, we'd love to hear from you. Visit alumni.erau.edu slash podcast and click the feedback link. I promise your message comes directly to me. Thanks for downloading us. We'll see you next time.